Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to an amazing week right here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. This is, of course, our show of the week that will be done in video format. You can watch on all major video watching platforms like Twitter and Rumble and Facebook and YouTube. But this can also be listened to Monday through Friday on WZXI at 9 a.m. And then at 1 o'clock, and that same show is released on all major podcasting platforms. If you want to figure out where to head over to to listen to that, head on over to theandrewshow.com. And this right here is the number one ranked needed to listen to Kentucky political show by Feedspot. We ranked as number one, the, the number one political show you needed to listen to right here in Kentucky. Feedspot gave us that title, not me, but Feedspot. And there's a reason why. And it's because unlike all the other shows you so often listen to that just will hoot and holler about things going on at the federal government you can't make a difference on. People just repeating how awful Democrats are, how horrible some Republicans are, the rhinos, and as such. Unlike those shows here on the Andrew Kubrater Show, we're going to talk about politics going on right in your backyard, and most importantly, some things you can do to make a difference. And we're going to start off by talking about a very issue like that, and I have an action alert, action alert. House Bill 204. House Bill 204 is a bill to, to deal with certificate of need issues. So uh, what the particular bill is dealing with is something called the competitor's veto. So here in Kentucky, we have something called certificate of need laws, con laws in the healthcare industry. Longtime listeners of the show have heard me go into deep depth about all about these shows, shows all about these uh, laws and the various aspects in the way it manifests itself. But one of the rules, laws we have in Kentucky is if you're a healthcare provider and you want to add beds, buy new equipment, open up a new location, anything, really, if you just want to do anything of substantial note in healthcare, you have to first ask for permission from the government. And right now the government turns and then asks your would-be competitors if it's okay, if you go ahead and open up for business. So naturally, this creates an anti-competitive atmosphere, something called the competitor's veto. And House Bill 204, put out there by Marion Proctor out of Northern Kentucky, would take aim at eliminating that veto by competitors, basically saying that if the need is there, if the public wants it, they should get it. It shouldn't be based upon whether or not the competitors want somebody else in the field or not. This obviously causes higher prices, so on and so forth. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, think of any other industry. And if you had to ask permission from your competitors to open up, think about what that would do. It would ensure price fixing. It would ensure uh, higher costs for the consumer, less competition in, uh, you know, obviously the marketplace. And so with this in mind, Marion Proctor put forward House Bill 204 to deal with this. However, House Bill 204 that has been assigned uh, over to the uh, House what Health Services Committee that's chaired by Kim Mosier. Well, Kim Mosier over there, uh, Representative Mosier, is refusing to call forward House Bill 204 for the committee to get a hearing. Before a bill can go to the floor, uh, it has to be passed through a committee. And so this one got assigned to, which is a step, even to get it assigned is a step in the House, but it got assigned to the Health Services Committee, but Kim Mosier saying she won't call it. And so that's your action alert. I'm calling on you, the listener, you, the viewer, 
to call LRC at 1-800-372-7181. Once again, that's 1-800-372-7181 and ask to leave a message for Representative Mosier that says, call 204 forward in the committee. And if you're feeling real froggy, you can even tell her that if she doesn't, every day she doesn't, and if you mean it too, don't let it be empty threats now. If she doesn't do it, you're going to be going ahead and donating every day she doesn't to her opponent, who is Karen Campbell. By the way, Karen Campbell's website is Campbell4KY.com. You can also email Kim Mosier. If, if maybe you're saying, look, phones aren't my thing, I will shoot her an email, though. We can email Kim Mosier over at Kimberly.Mosier at LRC.KY.gov. Now, for those of you listening on the podcast format, video format, I'll go ahead and I'll add these links as a comment, the first comment uh, on these videos here. So that way you can reference those or I'll put it in the description if you're on YouTube or Rumble or what have you. But for those of you listening in the audio format, head on over to your podcast description. You'll see these links. And if you're listening on the radio, go ahead, pull out your paper, your phone, whatever you can do to take notes. I'm going to give it to you again. I'm going to give you this action alert again, okay? So it's House Bill HB 204, which eliminates the uh, competitor's veto in our healthcare certificate of need process. Kim Mosier is refusing to pull it forward based upon uh, the information we're being given. And so we need to put pressure on her. So you want to call LRC at 1-800-372-7181. Once again, that's 1-800-372-7181. And ask to leave a message for Representative Mosier telling her to pull that bill forward and allow the committee to vote on it. You can also email Kim Mosier at Kimberly, spelled like normal, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y, dot Mosier, spelled M-O-S-E-R, at lrc.ky.gov. So that's Kimberly.Mosier at lrc.ky.gov. Make sure you got that wrote down if you need to rewind, rewind. But hit her up and tell her. Look, you got to move this out of committee and, and she's got a primary opponent. So that means you can have leverage over her by going ahead and putting pressure on her by donating to Karen Campbell too as well. That's Campbell, uh, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L-4, number four, K-Y.com. Campbell for the number four, K-Y.com. So do your part, right? This is what this show's about. It's about making a difference and this is how you can do it. Speaking of making a difference, what? What future do you want for Kentucky? Do you want a future of Kentucky where people are scraping just to get by? Or do you want a Kentucky that can stand on its own two feet, both individually and as a state? I mean, do you want a Kentucky where people can thrive? Or do you want a Kentucky that regardless of whatever is going on in the federal government, we can survive? I tell you what, I don't feel so comfortable with the idea that if and when the federal government goes bankrupt, Kentucky will be no longer able to even survive because we have so many people dependent upon those federal government dollars. And it's not just me who's concerned about our federal government spending. I mean, recently on 60 Minutes, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chair, stated, and quoting here, the U.S. federal government is on an unsustainable fiscal path. And what he meant is, is our debt growth is outpacing the growth of our economy, and we're going to be in for a world of hurt. So with this in mind, I want Kentucky to be a strong and independent state, but this means making decisions that at times can look somewhat mean or heartless, but actually they're the best thing we can do for our quote unquote neighbor. 
And we hear Bashir talk about it all the time, the Christian idea, the, the, the uh, Christian beliefs and how that somehow means you should believe in big government. But r- remember this, the Christian isn't going to, to uh, um, create a situation where they're enabling people to commit sins, to, uh, uh, you know, sloth or greed or lust or, <laughs> you know, a, a, any number of things, love of money, you know, putting that in place, that isn't being a good Christian, creating those opportunities to do that, despite what they say. They say, Christians, if, you, if you're a real Christian, this is what you should believe in. I mean, we just saw Bashir recently making posts on this very thing, saying that my faith teaches me basically that he needs to give a open carte blanche opportunity for every single uh, Kentuckian to get whatever they want out of the taxpayer's pocket. And so with this in mind, our Republicans have been pushing forward pieces of legislation that the Democrats have been losing their mind on. That's what today's show is going to focus on. Those pieces of legislation, what the arguments are against it, and how this should align with our values. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. We'll be back here in a few, few short minutes right after this quick break. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, I was discussing how recently our legislators have been passing a few pieces of legislation that Democrats have taken big, big issue with. They've tried to appeal to us. We've seen, of course, them online as well as uh, Bashir, and this is nothing new, saying that, well, these so-called conservative Christian Republicans, they hate families, they hate kids, they're not living out uh, their faith because they're against some of the government things. But remember this, okay? When people claim that a Christian must be for this welfare program or another, or a Christian must be for open borders, or a Christian must be whatever some socialistic idea they have. We've even heard people say that Jesus was a socialist, but in fact, a Christian does not need to be for those things. In fact, one could argue, and I will argue, that a good Christian is not for government doing those things because we as individuals should individually do what we're called to do by Christ, by our our faith, but also, and if you're a Christian, if you're not, just bear with me, to help those who are less fortunate. But the government is the opposite of that solution because we're called to help those who are less fortunate, not to turn them into sniveling brats that can't stand on their own two feet. Not people who enable them to commit things like sloth, gluttony, despondency, while, while taking away their entire motivation to better themselves. That isn't the Christian thing to do. And while maybe you feel like your government shouldn't necessarily outlaw those you know, seven deadly sins, it's a big difference, though, to say, I want the government to enable it. You see, when we do private charity, we look people in the eye. We can see what's best for them. We know how many times they've come and asked, and we know what they need. For an example, I remember one time uh, at my church, I was, uh, we had this life group, and there was a guy uh, in the life group. He was a painter, and he got laid off his painting job, and he was talking about money, and you know, people in the group had helped him out a little bit financially. And uh, a friend of mine was hiring for a labor type job paying more than what he was making before he got laid off. And my friend said, yeah, absolutely hire him. Andrew, you'll vouch for him. I'll hire him. So I let him know, hey, this job is available to you. He said, well, I'll have to think about it. The minute he said that, I realized this man didn't want to take care of himself or he wasn't in that point. And we've been enabling him to become less of a man 
less of a person. And so we decided at that point, okay, we're going to cut off some of this help. We've, we've offered him an opportunity to help himself. He needs to take it. And think about it this way. Think about like a kid, okay? Uh, think about, you know, if you're raising a child, right? And obviously, you're a mean, horrible person to kick. Uh, you're, you're truly a piece of garbage if you kick your 12-year-old child out of your house. If you kick your 19-year-old child out of your house because they refuse to get a job, you're not a bad person, possibly. You could be a very good parent. It would be wrong of you to charge your 12-year-old rent, generally speaking. Yeah, they should have to do chores around the house, everything else, and whether or not you pay them for those chores, that's your decision as a parent. But to literally charge them monetary rent, um, unless, of course, you're providing them chores, and then you pay them, and then they pay a little bit of rent because you're trying to teach them to handle money. Yeah? But if you're actually trying to get rent out of, out of your child, you're probably not a very good parent necessarily. But if your child's 18 and you're charging them rent, makes a lot of sense. You're trying to get them to become a good adult. Or maybe even before 18, maybe while they're out there and they start working and, and really bringing in an income, you say, you know, I'm going to charge you a few hundred bucks a month in rent just so you can be prepared to make that decision. Maybe that's your choice as a parent. I don't know if I agree with you or not, but the point is, is that your job is to prepare them to be able to stand on their own two feet. And at some point along the line, if you don't start pushing them out there and, and rolling back your assistance to them, they will never learn to stand on their own two feet. So why am I talking about this? Well, we're going to be digging into two topics today. Two bills that passed the House last week. The Democrats have a big problem with. They're on their way to the Senate. And those two bills, one deals with the food stamps program, one deals with child labor laws program. Okay? So I'm going to be digging into those bills. Um, and we're going to try to move past this hyperbole. Uh, remember, it, it, it may look mean, sometimes to charge your 18 year old child rent, but maybe it's the best thing for them when we dig down into it. So starting off this discussion of these pieces of legislation, we're going to look at House Bill 367. And I want to actually read the important part of this bill to you. I like to do this. Those of you who listen to the show a lot know that I like to actually read the pieces of legislation to you because I want you to move past the headlines. I want you to move past even my own spin I may be putting on it. And I want you to actually think for yourself. So I'm going to read it for you. Okay. This is what it says. This is all the pertinent parts. So the Academy for Health and Family Services, they're the ones who, of course, uh, operate our SNAP program that the federal government mostly funds. We do fund some of it. But here you go. It says that the cabinet shall not increase the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, that's also food stamps, eligibility standards for a gross income established in 7 U.S.C. Section 2014C and financial resources established in 7 U.S. Uh, USC Section 2014G unless expressly required by federal law. The cabinet shall not grant to any individual enrolled as a recipient in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program any non-cash, in-kind, or other benefits unless expressly, expressly sorry, required by federal law. Exempt 
any individual from meeting the gross income and financial resources eligibility standards as established in 7 USC section 2014 for any non-cash or in-kind or other benefit unless expressly required by the federal law and seek, apply for, accept, or renew any waiver of work requirements for able-bodied adults without dependence, without first obtaining specific authorization from the General Assembly. Uh, and then it, it, it uses a, a little bit of definitions there of words, but that's it. That's what the bill says. And so to kind of sum it up for you, basically what they're saying is, is that the cabinet cannot make people eligible for SNAP that are not eligible under federal guidelines, okay? So right now in our state, we have SNAP eligibility guidelines that allow more people to be on the um, food stamps than the federal government's laws are. So more people, we're enabling more people to be on the program. And we've been apparently waiving able-bodied adults without children from needing to work in order to receive food stamps as well. And so there's going to be a lot of discussion on this we're going to be going into. Um, we're going to hear from the sponsor in a second, but there's a few things that I think I want to lay out for you. Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead. Let's hear from the sponsor first. With that being said, that being in mind, there are estimated 130,000 open jobs in the state of Kentucky but for every 100 open jobs, we have 74 people looking for work. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has ranked Kentucky's worker shortage as severe. Kentucky's workforce participation is in the bottom tier of our nation at 57.4, much lower than even our neighboring states of Virginia, Ohio, Missouri, Indiana, Illinois, and Tennessee. Every time I speak to my business community back home, they tell me they cannot find workers who want to work. The people in 4th District elected me to find ways to get people back to work. While it's necessarily not the most important or most glamorous thing to dig into, one of the obvious hindrances to getting people back in the workforce is the expansion of government benefits. You see, our state government uses loopholes that hinder our economy and the very people that it serves. Two of the most abused loopholes in the Kentucky's federal mandates are addressed by House Bill 367. One of these loopholes is called the Broad-Based Categorical Eligibility, or BBCE. This waiver allows people with substantial assets to qualify for food stamps. For example, you could have thousands of dollars, even up to a million, in the bank and still qualify for a monthly check. This loophole also raises the income limits to 200% of the poverty level. That's not including the thousands of dollars in exemptions that's associated with that. And it also removes the federal asset test. It was instituted as a safeguard and accountability check to make sure that taxpayer money was used to help people in need, not those with assets they could use to provide for themselves. Under the current policy, someone with a second home, new boat, or an expensive RV could still qualify for SNAP. Here's how it works. The cabinet sends SNAP applicant, someone who normally wouldn't even be eligible, a brochure or a pamphlet from a separate government program paid for by that separate benefit program. Because the applicant simply received the brochure, the applicant is now deemed eligible under BBCE. It's essentially fraud by design, Mr. Speaker. 
Second loophole in this bill addresses the work requirements for able-bodied children, able-bodied adults with children, without children, sorry. This waiver uh, allows adults who should and would be working to draw food stamps while disregarding the requirements to work, train, or go to school, or even volunteer. All right, so he, so to summarize, right, this isn't about taking benefits away from kids or people who need it. Uh, it's about taking away from benefits from people who can stand on their own two feet and should be. And there's some discussion in there about things like exemptions. So in order to qualify, you have to have certain income levels, but you get to deduct certain expenses from your income level in order to qualify for food stamps. You're going to hear them kind of talk about this uh, a little bit as they, as they dig into it. But when we come back after this break, we're going to be digging into what the Democrats' response to this bill and exactly why they feel like this bill is no good, mean, awful, and uh, anybody who supports this is a no good, awful, mean person. We're going to be covering that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. We'll see you back here in a few, few short minutes. And you're back with The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. For the break, we we're discussing House Bill 367. What the bill does, and, and we kind of heard from the sponsor, but the bill overall does is it stops the, um, it moves the income eligibility level down from 200% of poverty line after deductions. We'll be digging into this down to 130% of poverty line in order to qualify for food stamps. And it also means that you can't waive the work requirement for able-bodied adults without children. Okay. Um, and then it also goes ahead and um, it does something on the assets. So it moves assets and saying, hey, look, you can't have, I believe it's over $2,750 basically in your savings account. And then also qualify for food stamp. Basically, you can't have money that you could be using for food first before you come to us and ask us for food assistance. So to summarize, this isn't about taking benefits away from kids. It's not about taking away benefits from people who need it. Okay. It's about taking benefits away from people who can stand on their own two feet and should be able to, but we're either helping them along or still, and we're not allowing them to get out there. It's, it's turned into a hammock form and not a, not a hand uh, up. It's become a handout. And, you know, people who should be working or have the ability to pay for their own food, they should be, right? And it specifically does not get rid of the work requirement waiver for recipients who have kids. So I want you to remember that because you're going to hear some arguments from Democrats in a bit. And I want you to remember specifically what it does. So with that in mind, let's hear the very first argument from the first Democrat. This is Tina Bojanowski. Uh, Democrat here, uh, Representative Bojanowski. And here we go. Here's um, a quick clip from her argument of why this is no good, very bad bill. Here we go. This is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad bill. If you just think about Maslow, what are our most basic needs? The most basic needs of our children in our school systems. Air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing. Food. If our children are not having enough food, they are not learning. According to the Kentucky Youth Advocates, and if you have your little calendar they gave you, we have 154,000 children who live in food insecure households. 
I'd like to say my concern is not related to the issue of able-bodied adults without dependents. It is related to the concern about what changing the gross income level from 200% of the federal poverty line to 130% of the federal poverty line will do for the 21,400 children who are at risk of losing their SNAP benefits. So we just heard from Representative Bojanowski why she thinks this is an awful, horrible bill. So obviously she can't attack the work requirement uh, with the children line. So instead she goes ahead and attacks the income requirement change, which is a bold thing to do because I want to, I want you to understand where we are currently in Kentucky on this issue. Okay. So she talked about 200% of poverty level, not being enough to feed the kids. Well, what's, Keep in mind, these kids also would be qualifying for two meals a day at school, right? Breakfast and lunch. But how much is she actually talking about? How much money are these people actually making at 200% of poverty level? Now, and something else you got to keep in mind, too, is exemptions or, or deductions. They deduct from their income level, too, as well. They can deduct rent, utilities, child care, um, child support they pay to somebody else. So they get to deduct all those expenses from their income to arrive at their income that SNAP looks at. Okay, so if we're talking about, let's say, a family of three, poverty level is considered to be $25,820, which keep in mind, if one adult in the household is working full-time, that's like one adult and two kids. So that's at $12 an hour, basically, is poverty level. So uh, a household of three, single parent, two kids, poverty level is making $12 or less an hour. So 200% of poverty is over 50K a year, or about mm, right around about 25 or so an hour. And keep in mind, that's before the deductions like housing and rent and childcare, before they even consider that. So what she's saying, in other words, is what about these kids? Let me, let me phrase what she's saying. She's throwing around words, but she's not using numbers. So let me use a specific number. What about the kids who parents make over 50K a year? What about the kids of parents making 20, more than 25 an hour? How are we going to feed those kids? How are we going to feed them? And when it's said like this, you realize how ridiculous it is. This is a child of a parent making over 50K a year, and we're saying, oh no, they're going to go hungry if we don't feed them out of your pocket. And keep in mind, this is a household of three. So it's possible this could be two parents, one kid, one parent's making 50, 60K years, and then the other parent maybe has decided not to work, which is a choice they can make, and I, if you can afford to do that, I encourage you to do that. But why should the Taxpayer have to subsidize that decision by giving you money to feed yourself. Get up to a family of five. That could be two parents, three kids. What's 200% of poverty level there? That's $72,000 a year is 200% of poverty income. Don't forget, you also get deductions like rent and everything else. It is very possible that this person is making $90,000 a year. So you got a two-parent household with three kids. One parent works, makes 90K a year. And under Kentucky law right now, they qualify for food stamps. $90,000 a year. So basically we're saying that people who make what 35 an hour 40 an hour deserve and should get government benefits as long as they have you know three kids and a spouse that doesn't work of course but that's what we're saying 
That's a normal amount of kids. That's a normal situation. That's a pretty good income, 90-ish K a year. Because they get those deductions. You can't forget that. And deductions include like rent. You got three kids. You could easily be paying 1,500 a month in rent. Your deduction now is $18,000 a year. So 200% of poverty income level for a household of five is 72K a year, which it is. If rent alone, not even childcare, rent alone puts you at, okay, you can now make 90K a year. Throw in childcare for three kids. You're now, you could be well over 100K a year. We have people under current Kentucky law that make over $100,000 a year that would conceivably qualify for these benefits. And when they propose a law to change this and be like, look, this is out of control, we're told, what about the kids? What about these poor kids of parents making 100 grand a year? Let me ask you, should there ever be a circumstance where someone earning 80,000 a year, 90,000 a year, 100,000 a year, 70,000 a year, 60,000, even 50K a year is getting government benefits? Honestly, ask yourself that. Does that sound right or fair to you that you're coming out of pocket to give to these people who are making over a hundred grand a year with three kids and a spouse that stays home and they're reaching into your pocketbook to fund their lifestyle? Does that sound right to you? There's nothing wrong with, of course, that situation. You want to make a hundred K a year, have a stay at home parent. That's fine. That's fine, and that's a worthy situation, but we shouldn't be subsidizing it. And backing up my numbers on this, and another argument here we hear, this is uh, from Sarah Stalker out of Louisville. Let's hear what she has to say. Thank you so much. Thank you for knowing those numbers. So a family of three is $49,720 is what they have to make now, today. That's the 200% federal poverty level. And now your bill is saying that a family has to make $32,318 to qualify for food assistance, which is a difference of $17,402 less. So we're making it harder for the people who need it the most to hang on to food. What this bill says to Kentuckians looking for help with their groceries, food, is that you better prove to us that you're working hard enough, but you better not work too hard. It's so interesting, right? Did, did you hear what she just said? The people who need our food assistance the most are the ones making between $32,000 and $50,000 a year. Did you hear that? Because I heard it. And on its face, that is ridiculous. And that just tells you how these people think. They are off their rocker when it comes to this. They have less any ability to reasonably think out the window. But that's not the only thing she said. We'll be digging more into this after this short break. I got a feeling I'm going to run out of time to cover the second bill. So we're going to have to cover that probably tomorrow. But after this short break, we're going to keep digging into this piece of legislation. You're listening to The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we've been digging into a recent piece of legislation that passed the House, House Bill 367, which is looking at addressing our current food stamp laws and uh, food assistance laws. And we were talking about some of these numbers, but we just heard from Sarah Stalker before the break, uh, giving us her reasoning behind why this is a no good, very bad, awful bill. And... Um, one, she said that people making 
to $50,000 a year are the people who need food assistance the most, which is on its face ridiculous, but that's what she said. Uh, the people who need food assistance the most, of course, are those who are the poorest, like that's obvious, the people making like $0 a year. In fact, she says that and thinks she said something real intelligent. And honestly, it's actually very ridiculous. And anybody with two brain cells to rub together should recognize that now. But she didn't just leave the argument there. No, no, no. She says in that clip that we listened to before the break that we are telling people, hey, don't work too hard or save too much or you'll be punished. Now, she's saying this because we're moving back uh, the qualification line from like, 40,000 and her and her thing there, you know, 50 K ish a year. Keep in mind though, they get exemptions down to 32,000. And so we're telling them, don't work too hard or you'll be punished. You'll be taken off your benefits. Um, hello, no matter where you draw the line, that's what you're saying. You're saying the same exact thing. Like this might actually be the thing that gets another parent into the workforce to help take care of their family without going to the taxpayer to do it for them. Okay, well, I wasn't working because I didn't want to go over 50K a year. That's like one parent working full-time. Well, as long as only one parent works full-time, earns 50, 55K a year, family of three, you can have one parent, one child, one, one parent staying home, one child. As long as the other parent doesn't make over hmm, probably 50, 60K a year, because remember, they get those exemptions. You're qualifying for food stamps. Yeah, that will keep people out of the workplace. But now you're lowering it. It's not going to suddenly they're going to be like, well, I'm going to make less than that's $18,000 less. They're not going to suddenly say, well, I'll guess I'll take a lower paying job. No, 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 no. To keep that food stamp benefit. No, no, no. They're going to say, well, I guess it's good while it lasted. We better get into the workplace where we actually can. I mean, it really doesn't matter whether the line's at 50K, 75K, 100K as it is in some cases as we talked about. They will think the same exact thing. It'll be the same thought process. And that was the crux of her entire argument. As if it doesn't apply now, no matter where the line is. These people do not think critically because they're, they're thinking emotional. And one person who's looking at this logically, though, would look at this and realize that actually at a higher level, it's more likely to stop one parent from working than it would be if we set it lower. We'll be telling them not to work too hard or you won't get benefits. That's what she's telling them. That is what we're telling them right now. Now, many more Democrats did speak uh, on, uh, speak about all these and they, and they kind of sit around these arguments, the kids, the kids, the kids, what about the kids on and so forth? Now, the bill's sponsor, who did handle the arguments as best he could, though not many Republicans, and I actually I don't think any, actually said anything to support the bill. The Democrats just constantly wailed on it, and the sponsor stood there and tried to defend it. I understand. I know it's hard, but I will say the quiet part, okay? These people are not going to die of hunger. They are not. Despite all this fear-mongering, there's not one documented case of a child dying from malnutrition in the U.S. for over 100 years that wasn't due to, like, child abuse or being locked away somewhere or, you know, lost, something like that. That's happened. But actual, like, child without criminal circumstances involved going hungry and dying in the U.S. has not happened in over 100 years years. And honestly, these Democrats 
are the truly awful people. They use the shield of children to defend the greater overall evil in their ideology. And that ideology says this, that the average American, the average Kentuckian is unable to take care of themselves without them coming along to show them the way and take care of them. And I'm not kidding. I'm, when I say average Kentuckian, I mean average Kentuckian. Let's rewind to what 200% of poverty is for a family of two. So a single parent and one child. That income level would be right there at $40,000, right at $40,000 a year. Now remember, you get to claim thousands of dollars in deductions. And to give you an idea, here's some deductions for you. You got rent, utilities, child support, babysitting expenses, child care. So it's very possible that a single mom with one kid, especially one getting child support, well, well, take out child support because it's only if you pay child support. So it's, it's, it's possible a single mom could be making 60-ish K a year at a job, has child care, has rent. Let's say the rent is $1,000 a month. Let's say you get to deduct utilities. Utilities is 300 a month. Childcare six hundred a month. Her deductions are now nineteen hundred dollars a month. So at sixty thousand dollars a year, she would qualify for food stamps. I mean, take one person, one person on their own, no children, just one person on their own. Two hundred percent of poverty is twenty eight k a year after deductions. So pay a thousand a month in rent, three hundred a month in utilities. That's thirteen hundred a month or about 15,600 a year, that means that a single person making 43,600 a year, a single person now qualifies for food stamps. And let me say this another way because of how the deductions are working here. That means that a single person that has $26,000 in disposable income a year because they paid their utilities, their rent, all they haven't paid for at this point is food, and a car, car payment insurance. That's it. That's all they haven't paid for. At $26,000 a year to pay for those things. That's over $2,000 a month in disposable income after you've paid your rent and everything else. Even after you pay a car payment and insurance. And gas, take gas out of it. That's a thousand. You have $1,000 a month disposable income and they're saying, give them food stamps. They need government help. That's what I mean when, they, when I say that the average Kentuckian they don't even think can take care of themselves. I mean, if you think that, if you think a person with $26,000 a year in disposable income can't take care of themselves, who do you think can take care of themselves and who do you think is going to pay for this? You think it's just millionaires and billionaires only? This is the thing they want the average person to not be able to survive on their own or think they need the government to, fit, to financially help them to survive. Because if the government gives you more money, guess what? You end up relying more on the government and you end up electing people who keep giving you more and more money, hoping you don't take care of yourself. You know why? People who don't take care of themselves have a tendency to not think for themselves either. That's truth. Now, this was not the only issue Democrats had an issue with this past week. No, an equal freakout 
on the same day over another bill, House Bill 255, which simply was removing anything more than the federal government restrictions on child labor laws. And they freaked out. Of course, you hate children and everything else. I was going to try to cover that today, but we've run out of time. We've spent time having to dig into this lunacy. And so that's why I want to encourage y'all, make sure you're tuning in every day you can. Okay, you can tune in on WZXI every day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. You can listen to the podcast version, audio version. Tomorrow I'll be digging into that bill as well as a few other issues because we've, we've had just a big weekend of things to cover. But I think it's important that you understand exactly what's going on here because you're going to see headlines that say Republicans hate kids. When this bill passes, they're going to say Republicans remove tens of thousands off food stamp benefits. Republicans are evil, awful, and nasty. Remember what they're talking about there. When they're saying people are getting removed off benefits, it's not poor people. It's people that after deductions are making 200% of poverty. Conceivably, single working parent households where somebody's making over 100K a year. That's what they're talking about. So, that's all we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. Please make sure you tune back in tomorrow. Uh, I've been Andrew Cooper, your host. Head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, it's theandrewshow.com to learn more about the show. Have a great rest of your day.